The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, as you can tell from my accent. I'm living in Canada, and I've worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our topic for today is the Patients Association and Family Caregivers, which raises the question of why do we want to discuss these things together? Well, it's because, first, family caregivers provide care for family members who are also patients of the healthcare system. As patients, the family members are concerned about getting the health care that they need when it's needed. And their family caregivers are also concerned about the care that their family members receive and how they receive it. Now, when the healthcare system has provided its care to patients, many, I think more and more, return home to the care of their family caregivers. When the health condition is one that can't be cured, that is persistent and that creates a disabilities, a particularly heavy burden passes to the family caregiver and to the family, which raises the question of whether healthcare systems are truly organized to meet the needs of patients whose conditions can't be cured, whose conditions are persistent, and whose conditions create heavy burdens for family caregivers, which then raises the question of whether family caregivers' interests can be promoted through the association or whether they need a strong voice of their own. So to talk about these and other questions, our guest today is Sholom Gluberman. Now, Sholom is founding president of the Patients Association of Canada. He is philosopher in residence at the Kunin Lunenfeld Applied Research Unit at the Baycrest Centre for Geriatric Care and an adjunct at the University of Toronto. He holds a BA from McGill University and a PhD in philosophy from Cornell University. He gained much of his experience in the health field at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal and the King's Fund in London, England. He's directed the health policy think tank at the Canadian Policy Research Networks. He's spoken widely in Europe, North America, and Australia. His publications focus on complex health systems, health in cities, healthcare reform, and the healthcare experience of patients. And he's now currently hard at work on the nature of patient engagement in healthcare systems. So, welcome to the show, Shalom. Thank you. 
Now, my first question for you, please, is tell us more about your career and your own experience with health-related challenges and the role, if any, of family caregiving in your life. Well, I, the, my initial uh, contact with the, with the healthcare system was to be with my father over the uh, eight months that he was dying. He, he got uh, colon cancer in 1964 and, um, and uh, died a very slow, rather painful death and was in and out of hospital for uh, over that period of time. Uh, and uh, my mother and I were with him every day um, for long periods of time. So I got to spend quite a lot of time in hospital watching um, what happened in hospital as, as my father was cared for and, uh, and became very interested in the whole process of care at that time. And uh, my later experience, I was very lucky to have had the chance to begin to work in the health system and to, and to observe it more closely over many years. So uh, I observed it first as a, as a caregiver, uh, then as, a, uh, as a, a becoming an expert in the system, and then uh, finally uh, becoming a patient myself and uh, spending about two weeks in the hospital as a result of having had an operation. Right. Now, that leads me into asking you the next question, which is what convinced you to start the Patients' Association, and was it anything to do with your experience when you went, spent that two weeks in hospital? Oh, yes, it, was, it had everything to do with that experience, because it, the, 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 tra- the transition from being somebody who knew a lot about he- health care and the expectation that uh, all that knowledge would help me and make uh, the experience of being a patient easier turned out not to be very true. That, um, that the transition from being a, a, a kind of a worker in the field to being uh, someone who's receiving services from the field is, is a, a very dramatic transition. Um, you, you find yourself being far more dependent. You find yourself uh, not being able to assert yourself as much. And you find yourself becoming passive over time uh, rather than uh, being an active participant in your care. So... Take us now to the step of actually setting up the association. What were the key things that said to you, I have to set up this association because? What were those becauses? Well, when I, when I uh, left the hospital, I felt that uh, a lot of the experiences that I had shouldn't be had by other people. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, properly informed of things. Uh, I, I, uh, my concerns were of no concern to the people in the hospital. Uh, my fears were uh, considered to be uh, childish and so on. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity of, uh, of uh, speaking to the hospital and saying that I thought that the patient experience, people's experience as patients, was pretty poor and it could be improved quite easily if there was some kind of patient voice in the system. And I offered to work with the hospital to help them improve the patient experience um, uh, because I did have expertise and I had also had the patient experience. So uh, they, over a period of time, uh, put me onto a committee. Uh, which was called the Transition Management Team for Patient-Centered Care. It, uh, quite a long, lugubrious name, but that was the committee, and I was to be a patient member on that committee. Well, knowing a little bit about the system, I, real, I knew that uh, going on as a single person uh, on such a committee in a hospital, you quickly become overwhelmed by the, by the people who are the professionals in the hospital, and so I organized a small group of people to join me 
uh, and to help prepare me for the meetings and then to debrief after the meetings. Uh, and uh, we became quite excited at the the thought of, of doing this as a group, um, and I could come to the meetings as a kind of representative of, of a small group of people. We called ourselves the Group for the Realistic Improvement of the Patient Experience, or GRIPE. <laughs> and, <I love> that. <laughs> and over time, we this this transformed as people had different kinds of experience of the healthcare system into the Patients Association. This sounds like a political movement in the formation. Is that right? Well, I don't think it's so much a political movement. It really is an, a, a movement of what we see ourselves doing is working with the system rather than uh, rather than arguing for a particular point of view. We're, we're not in opposition. Uh, we, we believe that the, that uh, everybody who comes to the table in healthcare uh, is interested in improving the patient experience. That people are for patients and doing things for patients, and most of the motivations are altruistic. The the difficulty is that all these different people bring their own perspective as well, and uh, and there isn't there isn't any group that brings the patient perspective alone. And bringing the patient perspective to the table, I think, would change the nature of the debate. Would you uh, go so far as to say that, for example? Um, if a physician, because I'm one, uh, has been through the sort of patient experience you're talking about, um, that would give them a better perspective on patients' needs and, in effect, change their behavior. Would you go that far? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the literature, the medical literature now is beginning to contain articles by doctors who have had significant patient experience. And when you, read the, when you read that literature, what you discover is that my experience is not unique at all, that, uh, that uh, physicians who've, who've become patients uh, understand and feel the same kinds of things that I do and are also interested in changing that perspective. So uh, many of our members are doctors We're in, <laughs> who have had the patient experience and, 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 and thus been somewhat transformed. Yeah, they recognize that there is another point of view in this and, and that the system itself isn't structured to receive the patient perspective very easily. You know, it's interesting. I've heard the, from family caregivers on this show say that they really would prefer to deal with um, a physician or other healthcare provider who himself or herself has had experience of family caregiving. So it seems to me there's something of a parallel there that it actually is important in some respects anyway for the healthcare professionals to have been there and done that in the sense of having experienced what it's like to be on the receiving end. Yes, I take absolutely. it you would agree with that, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah. I now, think that that's right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, what that comes to, and we're going to run into the break in a moment, is this whole question of bringing together the needs of, on the one hand, patients um, who then go home, as I said earlier, to become the people whom the family caregivers are looking after. Have you any sense of the trend in that? I mean, was I right when I said, for example, that I think more and more people are going home to be looked, look, looked after by family caregivers? Is that right, do you think? Oh, yes, I think that that's certainly right. I think that the thing that's, that's, that's happening is that a, a huge burden of care is being passed on to, uh, to family members. The, the, this started in the 1980s when hospital stays began to become shorter and shorter. So length, as length of stays dropped, the, the support for people who were recovering left the hospital and came back to the home very often, yeah, and that increased and is increasingly so. 
So is it right then, would you agree with the point, and it's often made, that family caregivers are in fact subsidizing the healthcare system and so that all these efficiencies <laughs> that we hear about from hospitals are really transferring a burden um, and therefore calling for a subsidy from family caregivers. Is that right? Oh, yes, because the... I mean, one of the things that's happened is that, is that the, the hospital has sharpened its focus to only be there for the absolute uh, necessary acute episode. Right. And everything else is try, people try to put outside the hospital. Right, right. And the pressures, therefore, get more and more people being pushed out of the hospital into the home. Yes. Now, we're heading into the break. Uh, there's a lot more to come on this very important topic on the way we bind these these issues together with Shalom puts a picture to us that uh, I think we're going to agree needs changing but we do have to pay the rent um, so this is the time for us to take a short break this is Dr. Gordon Adley and my guest is Shalom Gluberman Dr. Gluberman you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel please stay tuned we will be back Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our guest, Shalom Gluberman. 
Our topic is the Patients Association and Family Caregivers. So now let's talk about the association and the challenges faced by patients and family caregivers. So, Shalom, first of all, what does the association do? What are the communities or groups that, are its, current, that its current members are drawn from? Well, what we, what we do is, is we basically have a series of projects that uh, will promote and enhance the patient voice in healthcare. And uh, I'll give you an example. Um, one of our projects is to, is to um, reward doctors who are especially patient-friendly, and we do that in partnership with the Ontario Medical Association. Uh, we've just given out the first Patient's Choice Awards to two doctors in a, a town outside of Toronto called Peterborough, and um, the idea was to choose doctors who were especially patient-friendly, and the selection the nomination was done by patients alone, and the selection was done by a jury made up of patients. And the criteria were set by patients. So we have a, a true patient's choice award for doctors who are particularly caring and listen and hear what patients have to say. Right. Uh, we are starting uh, another uh, project now, which will be to... Um, to uh, support board members who want to take on the patient perspective at the board level. That's the board of the hospital, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, what we will do is we'll provide them with mentors who are, who are either expert board members or who have had long experience with uh, policy or who, are, who understand the, the structure of management in hospitals. Right. Uh, who will help them to uh, present the patient perspective at board meetings. Now, when we talk about patients. Let's ask uh, about the conditions that bring them into healthcare, and let's focus on conditions that aren't curable, which are persistent, um, and the kind of challenges they create for patients um, it with, first of all, within the healthcare system. What are well, those challenges? Well, the, the truth of the matter is that the advances in medicine that have occurred over the last several hundred years have, have, have changed one, one big thing. I mean, they, they, the, the big thing that's changed is that in the, in the 17th uh, century, uh, everybody over the age of 40 had one persistent medical condition or another. Um, in, today, everybody over the age of 65 has one persistent medical condition or another. So we've, we've added uh, 25 years of good health to people, uh, by and large. But the people who have a persistent medical condition need support, and that kind of support comes either from uh, the, the healthcare system itself or from uh, family members. Increasingly, it's from family members. Right. So you, you have that kind of shift happening. But the, the shift is a, is, 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 that shift is a huge shift in morbidity. That, that, uh, that's happened over the last, I'd say, uh, 100 years. That, that uh, 100 years ago, most people died of acute conditions. They died of acute infectious diseases. Most deaths were from flu, uh, from, uh, from pneumonias, from uh, uh, cholera, from diseases like typhoid and so on. Those diseases have largely disappeared, and now the largest number of deaths come from these kinds of persistent conditions that you're talking about from chronic conditions. Right. Let's ask the same basic question. That is, always focusing on these persistent, non-curable conditions. 
what about the challenges that all this will these create for family caregivers, particularly in their interactions with the healthcare system? Well, the, the the biggest thing is that is that the system the system that we have now was structured in the 1880s uh, in response to the the growing ability to uh, find out the causes and cures of these uh, acute infectious diseases. Um, the 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 discoveries of people like Pasteur and Koch uh, really changed the way in which the health and changed the success of, of medicine and changed the scientific nature of medicine. And as a result, the healthcare system that was built from that time on was really focused on on the acute. Uh, and increasingly, it did that. So when you talked before about lengths of stay going down, that uh, the time in hospital was reduced, and that the recovery from hospital ended up being in the home with the support of family, that 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 sort of continues to focus on acute episodes or the acute portion of whatever condition it is that you have. The system is oriented in that way to the acute. Um, the support uh, for the more long-term care and for care after the acute, the subacute, if you like, um, is, is really not as well provided by the system as, as its intervention at the time of, the acute, of, of an acute episode. So you have a system that's structured in one way and that's deeply structured that way, both in terms of, of re, well, in, terms, in all parts of it, in education, in research, and in delivery. Uh, whereas the fact is that the vast majority of, of illness is not of that nature. It's of the chronic, and the support of the health system for that is not very strong and has to be strengthened. So support for caregivers is part of that, is part of that support for, for the non-acute aspects of, of illness. It sounds to me from what you're saying that health, the healthcare system isn't really taking account of the point that the 30-year um, change that you talked about reflects 30 years of additional age for people and that as we age, things develop, but they develop in relation to and because of conditions which we really can't cure, which, to be fatalistic, appear to be, to some degree anyway, inevitable with aging. Now, that's a rather long-winded question, but just basically, have we factored age and aging enough into this healthcare equation? Uh, I don't think so. I think that, in, in fact, when you there's there's a book that was re recently written about the history of cancer, uh, cancer research from the 1950s until today. I think it was called something like the Emperor of All Diseases, and and the and the book describes all the heroic uh, activities of the researchers in curing cancers uh, in the first parts of the book, and the cancers that they cure are cancers of people who are younger by and large, and they're cancers that are relatively rare. In the last part of the book, what, what the writer starts to discuss is the fact that there isn't going to be an overall cure for cancer, that cancer is a disease of aging, and that uh, if we manage to cure all other diseases and, and early stage can cancer of young people, what we'll be left with is that everybody will die of cancer, because that's the only disease that's <laughs> that in a way won't, won't lend itself to a cure, because it's simply the body wearing out in a certain Right. Now, you mentioned patient-centered care. We hear a lot about these, this uh, from all over the place, healthcare system, governments, and the rest of it. Uh, here's my question. How do 
or should family caregivers fit into this picture of patient-centered care? That's a good question because the Patients Association, what we don't think that patients are individuals. We think that patients are part of a matrix, that they include the patients and their caregivers because I think that nobody should go into hospital alone uh, for example, they should go in accompanied by somebody who is close to them, and, and usually that person is is a caregiver. Um, partly because, and, and, and the system has to respond not just to the individual and the body of that individual, but also to the people who surround the individual who comes into the hospital, uh, and, and, and must respond in a way to the, this kind of patient matrix all the way through the process. So I don't, I don't think, I don't see caregivers... Um, uh, as, as not being part of the patient matrix. They're certainly a very important part of it and a critical part of it. Uh, I think that they have their own concerns, so it's, it's entirely uh, a good idea for them to have their own organization, but I think that caregivers, we welcome caregivers as part of the Patients Association, and we think that they should, certainly should be members and join up. Go to Google and look up Patients Association of Canada. Sign up, and the more we have, the better off we'll be and the louder will be the voice. That's right. Yeah. Now, still on this question, though, of um, family caregivers within this uh, matrix you're talking about, um, first of all, I, I am sure all of us agree with you, but I'm not sure how often we actually hear what you've just been saying from the healthcare people themselves or the healthcare system. That is to say, the idea of it being a team, a matrix between, on the one hand, the patient, and on the other hand, the family caregiver, and then the system as a whole. Um, am I right in saying that, or do you think that um, there well, is I, I think that p part, of, part of that is, is a result of the system being so focused on the acute. When, when a system is focused on acute care, it, it ten, it, you can understand that it's focused on the body of the individual who's, who's ill and focused very often on the particular organ, uh, and very often focused on even a part of that organ. Uh, and, and, and when there is so much expertise and so much knowledge and so much uh, capacity being directed at, uh, at this particular part, then, then there isn't that much training on looking at the surround and looking at the environment within which that particular body part exists. So you have a kind of, um, you, you have a focus that's so intense that it that it leaves out uh, it leaves out the the larger picture and and in fact many of the consequences and it doesn't take any or enough account of the person who's that's sitting right. next to the bed yeah. of the particular patient that's right isn't it yes and if you look if you look at how hospitals are organized and how they're even even how they're designed that inside the hospital they're not very good places to sleep uh, they're they're not very good places to to calm down they're not very good places um, to to heal because because they don't consider the person they consider the illness and the particular condition that the person has yeah that seems to me and um, we're going into a break now something that needs a little bit of uh, change or fine tuning um, because I think we've probably all had the experience of being told to leave. Uh, while caring is being delivered. And there may be good reasons for that, or there may not, but that's a question maybe for later on. Yeah. Now, it is time for us to take the break. And this is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guest is Shalom Gluberman. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite 
on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. The Marsh Engel Show. Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. That's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for the Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our guest, Shalom Gluberman. Our topic is the Patients Association of Family Caregivers. So now let's talk about the um, way in which the um, system is or isn't working um, to address the kind of things that Shalom has been talking about already. So first question to you is, Shalom, please say more about the causes of what I'll call the shortcomings in the way healthcare systems meet the needs of patients, the very patients for whom family caregivers are providing so much care. I think probably the best way to answer that question is by, by giving you an example that, that shows how deep some of these issues are in the system. Uh, I've I spent some time with, uh, with surgical residents uh, uh, as part of my role in, on that committee and, and talk to them about their experience as residents and how they got along with patients. Uh, what was interesting was that they found, they, they, they found that when they were informing patients about the procedures that they were going to have, what they were taught to, to tell them about were the risks. So, the, so the, uh, they, would, they would say that uh, when a certain procedure happens, 
they, there would probably be it would probably come everything would probably be all right that they would uh, have have the procedure and uh, most likely everything would be fine but there was <clears throat> a slight risk that they might uh, uh, be infected and have an infection that would sort of persist for a while which would be treated and then they would take a bit longer to heal or uh, they could have a more serious uh, episode in which case uh, there there might be further procedures that would have to be done and in the most extreme case uh, for whatever the procedure was uh, the person could die um, so they were told to tell patients this because they were required this is this is a question of disclosure and the disclosure is a disclosure of risk there was no concern at all about the what the experience of being a patient was like after the, whatever procedure was uh, no no interest at all in what it felt like but but an interest in uh, whether or not the procedure could go bad and where it could go bad and how it could go bad because that was the risk that they had to disclose. They didn't have to disclose anything about what the patient experience was going to be like. Um, they found that a bit uncomfortable and weren't quite sure why. Um, but that, that whole notion about how they would tell people about what they were facing really had the same kind of picture in it where it, it was, these are the kinds of things that could really pretty much happen to the doctor rather than to the patient that things could go bad, uh, that the patient's experience would be quite different uh, of, of uh, being anesthetized and the consequences of anesthetization, how that felt and so on, wouldn't be part of the thing, nor would it be something that would be disclosed to the, to the caregiver. So you have a, a, a very partial description of, of, uh, of what things are like uh, in that same kind of curtailed way, uh, uh, as if as if the patient wasn't the person, but was something that could could, for example, go bad. If you know what I mean. A bit like a car engine. Yes. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question that flows directly from what you've been saying. That is to say, you've described how the information conveyed by, say, physicians and doubtless others to patients reflects a particular perspective on the part of the healthcare system and those professionals and omits crucially important information for the patients and family caregivers about, and I'm going to use your word, the experience. Now, here's the question. It's an issue, really. Healthcare has to grapple with all kinds of things these days. It seems to get more complicated by the day. So my question to you is, how important are those information needs that you've described for patients for whom family caregivers are providing so much care? And what is the real underlying reason beyond the one that you've been talking about? I'm not criti- being in any way critical when I ask this. Why is the healthcare system really not, much, not better at meeting or understanding those patient information needs? I think that there are many reasons for that. I mean, I think that the, the, the first reason is what I was saying before, that it is focused on interventions that are acute. It's, it's really focused on, on, on making sure that what it does is, is done properly and done to the highest standards, done with a huge uh, uh, amount of ability and so on. Um, it's, not, it's not so concerned about the person, as you, I mean, you you've said this too. Uh, and it's not concerned about the person because, because in, it deep in the tradition is that the body is, is looked at as if it's a kind of, uh, of, of machine. Uh, and, and that kind of mechanical view of the body means that you, what you want to do is make sure that the mechanisms are working right and that everything is in order. 
I think it's, I think that the, the two aspects of this machine are the, 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 the physical mechanical aspects and then the other part are the chemical aspects. And so they can look at these, look at the body as a kind of physical chemical, uh, machine that, that, that works in a certain kind of way. And the hope is that if they can get all of those elements right, then they can create and build health. Uh, and get rid of disease in, in those kinds of ways. And I think that that's been the project in healthcare for a very long time. And it's a project that was very successful for acute infectious diseases. It's not so clear that it would be so successful for the kind of chronic conditions that people have later in life. Uh, and in fact, I think that the, the, that the system and that the, 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 the physicians in it are beginning to realize that and that that shift is happening. So, so for acute conditions, you don't need the patient perspective. You don't need to have uh, patients involved in looking at a machine. But when you have diseases that uh, have many more causes and many more ways of being dealt with, then you do need uh, patient involvement. You need the patient, the patient to be part of and participate in managing and thinking about the care. That shift is happening, I think, but it's happening very slowly. Um, having an organized patient voice will make it happen more quickly, we think, which is one of the reasons that we want to be there. And we want to work in partnership with the system in that way, saying, look, this is a time when, when patients have to be part of, of it because you're not dealing with purely acute mechanical, as it were, or, or chemical conditions. You're dealing with conditions that are long-term and have multiple causes, multiple ways of being dealt with. Um, people with, with long-term chronic conditions can be healthy, they're not, they're not ill all the time. That uh, that uh, that the periods that being and being able to stay healthy with a disease like Crohn's disease is not a matter simply of taking medication or of having a certain operation. It's a matter of how you live your life and what you eat and uh, what your level of anxiety is and so on. Yeah, just a quick one. This um, does. The medical legal factor play any part in the way in which physicians speak to patients about risk. You know, there's lots of litigation. People sue patients, sue hospitals. Hospitals get very defensive. The healthcare system spends a lot of money on insurance, and I think there's a there may be a pressure on physicians to be very careful to spell out the risks because it's believed that otherwise there may be medical legal issues. Now, am I right on that, do you think, or are the, is well, that not that, a relevant factor? I, I don't think it's irrelevant at all. I think that in the United States that's, that's very, very important, and it's a very big part of how medical practice occurs in the United States. It's very different in Canada and in the U.K. that there are far, few, uh, there are far fewer um, legal uh, uh, attacks on, on physicians. There are far fewer suits, and suits are far less successful uh, than they are in the United States. But even in the United States, the, the, it, it turns out that by and large, a lot of these suits are, um, are not made by people who trust their physician and who believe that they have a relatively good relationship with their physician. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that raises an, another interesting direction to go in. We won't go down that road, but I'd love to sometime. Uh, I want to come back to the association. Um, you've been... In, Explain to us how the association is, is, is going about addressing the situation, what I'll call the information system situation that you've just described. Tell us more about how the association is actually going to uh, address those problems 
And overall, what do you see the role of the association being in relation to government? Well, we have, we have, the association wants to be able to work at three different levels in the healthcare system. The first level is the, is the clinical level. It's, it's to help people face the system clinically when, when they come in for clinical care. Uh, it's to provide them with, help them uh, understand how to prepare for physicians' visits. And there's a lot of material on this already. But, but uh, we, we want to think about the clinical. We want to also help physicians at the clinical level, understand uh, and be more sensitive to the patient experience. And, and what we're doing at the clinical level at the moment is simply uh, having these patients' choice awards where we have doctors, where we identify doctors who model the kind of behavior that we think is the, the kind of behavior that patients would like to experience by and large. And the two doctors that we gave the award to were two very different kinds of doctors. I mean, one, one was a doctor who was uh, very careful of his time made sure that he didn't work too many hours a week, um, but, but provided when he was there uh, enormously caring uh, 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 interactions with, with the patients and had an office where the patients felt war- friendly and, and warm and felt like they were really wanted. The other doctor worked many hours a week and was there all the time for the patient, uh, whether, whether it was night or day or, or anything like that. So you have, you have very different styles of, of being a caring doctor. So that's the, that's the clinical level. We also want to work at the, um, at the service delivery level. It's how do you define, how do you design services? And we'll talk about that later, probably after the break. And, and what would the patient perspective be on the design of services, and how do you think about that? And finally, at the policy level, uh, thinking about the system in terms of the policies that it has and how those policies affect and can uh, improve uh, people's experience with the healthcare system. What about government? Well, well, we think government, government at the moment in Canada, there is uh, the beginnings of the discussion about a new accord that will be made between the provinces and the federal government. The, the, the provincial federal accord on healthcare will be signed in 2014. Discussions about the nature of that accord and what will be covered in healthcare and how the provinces and the federal government will get along in terms of that coverage. Is, is very much to the point right now, and uh, we are very interested in participating in that discussion and participating in the debates that surround it and bringing the patient's voice to those debates. Right. We're going to take the break now because it's that time once more. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Shalom Gluberman. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. Our guest, uh, Shalom Kluberman. Our topic is the Patients Association and Family Caregivers. And I want now us to talk about government, the interests of patients and family caregivers, and who should best serve them. Now, Shalom, how far and how fast are governments and the healthcare system willing to move to better meet the kind of needs we've been talking about? That is for families looking after members with conditions that aren't curable, that are persistent, and that cause major disabilities. How far and how fast are the systems willing to move? Well, until now, the I think that the most important point here is that until now, the people at the table who made these decisions included healthcare professionals, doctors, managers of hospitals, uh, policymakers in in government, uh, and politicians. There has, and every one of them spoke on behalf of what they call patients. But since the burden of illness has shifted from acute to this kind of long-term condition. there, there really have been no, but there have been, there's been nobody at the table to represent that view, to represent that reality. And so what we have is we have the persistence of the, of the system which ignores the, those, those issues. Bringing patients, having a strong patient voice and bringing that patient voice to the table, which is what we're after, will certainly change that discussion. And changing that discussion will bring in those kinds of issues to the debate and to the discussion. So we, we ex- and, and, and to a certain extent, there's a, there's a recognition that something is wrong. Uh, there's no clear description of what's wrong yet, and we've been working very hard to make that clearer, and we've been, I think that we've been quite successful in being able to say the things that, we've said, that I've spoken about today. So once patients come to the table, I think that the debate will be different, and I think that there will be the beginning of a shift in the direction that, that we're talking about. I don't know how long it will take. I think that, that the creation of the system uh, lasted, you know, almost 
uh, 100 years uh, and, and uh, shifting out of it won't happen overnight. But I think that the movement to do that, uh, I think that people want something to change, and I think that bringing patients to the table will help that happen more quickly. Right. Now, when you're advocating the association to government, what's your basic pitch? Oh, the basic pitch is the one that I've, I, it's, it's, it's what I've already said. It's that the burden of disease has shifted. The system hasn't shifted. When we have, a, when we have illness that uh, is long-term, uh, like chronic disease, then you really do need a patient voice. Uh, and there hasn't been one. And there hasn't been an organized patient voice. So bringing an organized patient voice is, is absolutely critical now. Um, and government is listening. I mean, we are we're, we're getting a response from government. Right. What, if any, mention do you make of money, given that healthcare systems everywhere seem to be obsessed with money, and for, for very good reasons? What, what about the financial uh, well, aspect? When, when you look at how the healthcare system is, is arrayed, everybody tries to solve the problems in using the same kind of acute approach. Uh, uh, either medication or surgical intervention um, or, or some particular kind of procedure. These are not really appropriate for, for many of the, the long-term conditions that people have. So people tend now to be over-medicalized, and the largest increase in cost is in the cost of, of drugs. We know that. Uh, they tend to be over-treated at times, and that's where the, the costs are. So the question is, what are the thresholds for intervention that you're going to have if you start to shift the system? And, I, and if you look at other systems, systems, the most expensive system in the world is the American system because it is the most focused on uh, interventions of those kinds. Uh, and, and if you look at the Canadian system, it's less expensive than the American one. And the British system is even less expensive because it has much more of a concern for the capacity to deal with long-term conditions. As a result, there is less medication and less intervention. Uh, I think that as you go down the scale, what you discover is that uh, systems that have even less of that kind of uh, intense uh, focus on interventions of those kinds, they tend to be cheaper and the population remains just as healthy. So the Cuba, which is a, a country, which, which is an extreme example of this, is a country which has uh, much less money, spends about $500 a year per, per person in the country, and yet the, the health of their population is uh, absolutely the same as that of the of people who live in the United States. Same longevity, um, a bit lower in infant mortality than the United States. Wow. That's, that's another topic for another discussion, but... <laughs> Let, let's just stay with this question then of government um, because everything you're saying points to more understanding and the need for more and better understanding of the role of family caregivers. Do you think that message is getting across to government? I think that that's, uh, that's the other variable here. I mean, exactly right, that the, the country with the lowest uh, number of family caregivers per population is the United States, Canada is in the middle, and... The U.K. is the biggest of the three that, that you compare, and Cuba is the highest of all of them. So, so the idea of having family caregivers who can support, um, who can, who can support uh, this kind of care is really important. Right. Now, that leads me to my question, the key question, really, for point, from the perspective of this show, this episode, is can family caregivers' interests be fully 
served by the patient's association, or do they need one of their own to get their voice heard, to make their voice more loudly? What do you think? Well, I think that there are two two parts to that. One part of it is that uh, family caregivers are part of the patient matrix, and as such, they should be members of the patient's association and sign up. Uh, but they also have their own interests, and their interests, to the extent that they're separate, really does mean that they need their own organization because they, they have uh, the, the thoughts that they have, the difficulties that they have as, be, for be, uh, as being caregivers are their own, and, and they could do very well by learning from each other about how to do that, play that role better, and how to support, find the kind of support that they need for their particular situation. So I think it's, uh, it's both and that uh, being part of the matrix makes them part of the patient's association and their own concerns are their own concerns. Right. How I'm going to ask you, we've only a few, just a minute or two left, but very quickly, give us a commercial break, so to speak, on behalf of the association addressed to family caregivers. Why should they join? Because adding their voice to the voice of, uh, as part of the patient matrix uh, will help to move the system in the direction that it has to move in order for their concerns to be, to be listened to. Uh, that, that, be having, that thinking about their experience, that their experience is really part of the patient experience and, and should be associated with the patient experience. Uh, and, and improving that experience is something that the Patients Association is about. So we are working towards improving the experience of everybody in the patient matrix. We hope that by bringing a patient voice to the table will not only improve those experiences, but the experience of people who actually work in the system as well. Right. So the uh, name of this um, show is Family Caregivers Unite with the exclamation point. Um, What we, I think, are agreeing, Shalom, is that family caregivers should seriously consider uniting uh, with the association, but also having their own voice and their own way of getting their voices out so that they, too, are heard. That's right, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Okay, terrific. Now, time is running out, unfortunately, so I have to say thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with comments and questions um, for Shalom about the association, how to join, how to get involved, how to get your point of view across, because that's very important. I want to say thank you to Sholem. You know, you've shared with us your experience, insights, and your advice, uh, but I also want to wish wish you every success because what you're doing resonates, I believe, very strongly with the kind of things that family caregivers are concerned about, all families are concerned about, and people generally are being concerned about. In other words, they don't want to be treated as a piece of anatomy that needs correcting mechanically. They want to be treated as people who are struggling with a healthcare challenge and with all the burdens on them and their families that this healthcare challenge um, brings upon them. So in our next episode, we'll talk about family caregiving within immigrant communities. Please join us same spot, same time, and same station. Talk to you then.
thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information.